What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and that is the important account to go check out right now. A ton of new articles have dropped on the site over the last week. We have our new podcast called It's Gone, hosted by the great Britain Allen. A lot of great stuff in that feed over there, and it's going to just continue to come out over there on Ethos Fantasy BB. You're going to find it all at sportsethos.com as well, but if you're somebody who likes to go around on Twitter and have everything in a feed for you, click on Ethos Fantasy BB. you got all of our recent podcasts and articles there, uh, conveniently one after the other for you, so please do go check it out, throw us a follow, and show some support. But today we are going to conclude our outfield shows, our outfield ranking shows. We're going to go through numbers 31 through 50. Probably won't spend as much time on each individual player as we have in some of the earlier shows. I don't need to talk about Andrew Benintendi as much as we might want to talk about guys like Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and yada, yada, yada. And I think that that generally is understood. Uh, We're not going to spend so much time on some of these deeper names because I think a lot of you guys and... I could be wrong. There could be more NFBC players who listen to my show. It could be, you know, a lot of high-stakes players. I tend to think, and I think in general it is a fact, that most players who play fantasy baseball, fantasy anything, are playing more in your 10- and 12-team home league-style tournaments, uh, style competitions. Most people are not playing in 15-team, 50-round drafts where you end up taking, you know, the fourth string catcher on a team because you need to have some, you know, things like that. Like, I don't think most fantasy players are really so into that. Uh, we're going to be talking about the top 50 outfielders in total. And I think at that point we're covering a good bit of territory. You know, if you are in those very, very deep leagues, you know, there is this, how many outfielders have an ADP this year? Uh, 215 outfielders have an ADP or have been drafted. And I'm just looking at the February drafts, right? That's only looking at 15 drafts. There are so many players to go over, but I think at the end of the day, the vast majority of you are going to be drafting from this pool of 50 outfielders. And maybe a couple beyond it might sneak in there and have some value. There is certainly a chance for it. But I think for the most part, we just need to focus more so on the shallower leagues. And I've talked about this a lot over the course of the last several months that most of the content you are going to see is going to be more geared towards NFBC players, high stakes leagues, uh, draft champions formats. And that is that is fantastic. And we have a podcast for that now. And that's Britton Allen's show. Like I mentioned off the top, it's gone. You guys should be subscribing and listening there. He's going to give you more of the high-stakes look. And I'm still going to talk about it a little bit here and there. We'll mention NFBC tournaments and NFBC ADPs, which is what we're still referencing right now. Um, but for the most part, we are going to start to transition back into 12-team content, into more shallow team, shallow league content. And I think going through 50 outfielders gives a, a good sense of who I am willing to have in those shallower leagues. Obviously, you know, as you get into the deeper 40s, they're probably not going to be that interesting. In a 12-team league where you have three outfielders, 36 outfielders are going to be there. Let's call it 40 once you factor in, 42, 43 once you factor in utility slots and bench slots. So we're going a little bit beyond what you're probably going to see in a standard league. But I think that that's okay. Uh, we're giving you a good pool of outfielders to choose from here. Once we get to you know certain numbers, there might not be as interesting. But I think we still have some very interesting names to go over today. And we're going to start off 
with number 31, Seiya Suzuki. And if you guys have missed the previous two shows, they came out over the last week. Uh, we had Tuesday was part two, and last Friday was part one for the outfield shows. We've had some team previews mixed in there that you guys should be checking out. A lot of great stuff in your feed uh, that you guys should be catching up on over the weekend if you haven't. But we're going to kick it off here with Seiya Suzuki. I like Seiya Suzuki, and I see a lot of people have hyped him up over the course of draft season. I'm not as sold as a lot of people are on his outlook, and I think the projections might be a little bit lofty, depending on which ones you look at. Steamer, which is always a little bit higher than probably they should be. They got him for 25 homers, 81 ribbies, and 11 steals. I'm not sure that he's going to get there exactly. I mean, the home runs, can he give you like 20? Yeah, I could see him giving you 20, but more than that, like he gave you 14 last year in 111 games. You know, that's essentially two-thirds of the whole season. Uh, a little more, I guess, than two-thirds once you're talking 120 games. But, you're, t- I mean, you're not projecting that even if you prorate that out to 26 home runs. You know, the projections are calling for 130 games, which is 25 more than last year, and they're expecting him to hit about 12, 13 more home runs. I don't really foresee that happening with Seiya Suzuki. I just think that he's an all-right outfielder to plot in or to put in there in your lineup as, like, your third outfielder. Uh, you know, if you're in a deeper league, he might have to be somebody that gets pushed up a little bit because in those five outfielder leagues, outfielders are pretty expensive. They tend to go off the board pretty early. Might be your second outfielder, might be your fourth, depending on your strategy. I just don't feel very comfortable with him in his current ranking uh, based on ADP, which is 26. I think it feels a little bit high, and that's in terms of the NFBC draft champions ADP. He's going at pick 107 in these most recent 15 drafts. It just feels a little bit too high for me. When there are guys going off the board below him that we talked about yesterday, or not yesterday, the last time we did an outfield show, that I definitely would feel a bit more confident in. Nick Castellanos, I'm definitely taking him there. I'm definitely taking Christian Yelich. Uh, there's a couple more names. Andrew Vaughn, I'm definitely taking. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I feel pretty comfortable with beyond, say, a Suzuki, and I don't really feel that his price reflects what we have seen from him, even though he, he, he was good last year. You know, he gave you low-end five-category production, call it four and a half, I guess, with that 262 batting average. I just don't think the team is that great. I don't know that he is going to get to the, you know, the certain number of counting stats that we're seeing from certain projections, like Steamer, 81 ribbies. I don't know if we're going to see that. 25 homers, I don't know if we're going to see that. I think the best projection for him is probably the bad X, ATC, which is 19, 20 home runs, about 70 runs, and about 65 to 70 RBIs. Chip in maybe uh, low-end double-digit steals, maybe 9 to 11 steal range. And I think that's what we're probably going to get. But I think he is being a little bit overdrafted at pick 107. He's not somebody that I am so, so interested in. I could definitely see him having a great year. I just don't know if I'm willing to pay that specific price for it. So I've moved him down a little bit in my own personal rankings compared to <clears throat> where I had him earlier in the offseason and also compared to where the general public is drafting him at the moment. But let's move on to number 32, and that's MJ Melendez. I really like MJ Melendez, and he is here strictly as an outfielder. This, these rankings for, for outfield are not factoring in really other positions eligibility, specifically when it comes to uh, Melendez and when it comes to Dalton Varsho. Now, the catcher rankings, they are much higher, as they should be. But this exercise here in these rankings is just looking specifically at your outfielders and where you should be ranking these guys among outfielders. And I don't know that I feel that confident, uh, confident, comfortable. I kind of try to combine those two words in my head there. I don't know that I feel either one of those words 
when it comes to looking at Melendez for this upcoming season. As much as I really wanted to be in, if you guys were listening at the end of last season, I kept saying, you know, watch out for the Royals next year. And I've said it a little bit throughout the offseason, but, you know, doing my research, doing the Royals preview pod we did a few weeks ago with Kevin Hastings, I, I'm not sure that I am as big on this team as I might have been before, and Melendez is you know a part of that. First of all, the batting average is, is not going to be good. The batting average sucked last year. He was never a really high batting average guy in the minors. I mean, he was 293 in AAA uh, and 285 in AA one year, and that was 2021. Other than that, you know, we were seeing mid-twos kind of batting averages, 250-ish. And even, you know, if you look at 2019 in high A, it was absolutely brutal at 163. Uh, and everything else there, you know, Babbitt wasn't too bad. Uh, he just was having a bad year. And I, I don't know that we can look at him and say the batting average is going to increase is essentially what I'm trying to say. He might just be a 215, 220, maybe 230 hitter. The best case projection for him is Zips. They have him at 243. And I think that's absolute best case scenario. The home runs, you know, can he give you good power? Absolutely, he can give you good power. I don't know that it's going to be any more than about 20 home runs. Last year he played 129 games, and that's probably about as much as I would expect from him. He's going to get some reps behind the plate, but I think he is going to mostly be in the outfield. Uh, He'll get some DH spots as well. Uh, But I still don't really see him getting past 130-odd games. I don't know that these numbers are going to jump up like some of the projections are expecting. You know, um... What's, what's one good one to look at here? And Zips, the Zips depth chart projections, they take Dan Zimborski's Zips projections and put them into like the way the depth charts are on Fangraph's roster resource. I guess the Zips and the Zips DC one for him are both very similar. But they're calling for 130 games where he, you know, he played 129 last year, but they expect him to hit six more home runs, have 14 more runs scored, and drive in 16 more runs while also increasing his batting average by about 25 points. I just don't see it. When you do put in catcher eligibility, for sure, he would move up quite a bit on this board. He'd probably be at least about close to 10 spots higher anyway. I mean, maybe not 10, but like seven spots higher or so if you were to factor in the catcher eligibility. I'm trying not to do that for this show. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong to not do that because he is a catcher eligible player as well. But just in terms of where I see him amongst the other outfielders, I'm definitely not as high on him as certain people are, some people, and I can't even think of anybody in particular who's who's high on him right now. That's not meant to be like, you know, mentioning somebody without mentioning them. That's not what I mean to do here. Uh, I just know that in general, people are kind of big on Melendez. It's evidenced by the ADP at 102. In these most recent 15 drafts, he has been taken as a top 85 pick. He went 81st in a draft. He's fallen as far as 127, but anywhere in that range for me feels a little bit too expensive. There are still some outfielders that I like going beyond him. I don't feel the need to take him where he is going. And that's specific, and especially uh, if you're talking about a one-catcher league, then there's absolutely no reason to be taking him anywhere near where he's going. Two-catcher leagues, okay, maybe you can understand that catchers start flying off the board pretty quickly there, but I don't really see it in your standard formats where you got one catcher taking him anywhere near that pick, uh, that price. I'd probably push him down 50 picks based on the overall value, probably closer <laughs> to 150 than he is to 100. But let's keep it going with number 33, and that's Stephen Kwan. I love Stephen Kwan last season. He was fantastic. I was always kind of holding my breath for him because I wasn't sure how long the value was going to last, but he actually got better as the season went on. Stole a hell of a lot of bases in the second half. He was, I mean, this is something that's very rare across baseball, but he actually walked more than he struck out. He had a 9.7% walk rate, which isn't like a crazy high walk rate. It's very good, but it's not like, you know, stupid high like Juan Soto, but he only struck out 9.4% of the time. 
which is just ridiculously low. He hit 298. He had 89 runs, and okay, he had 52 RBIs. You're not going to expect a lot of RBIs as a leadoff hitter with his, you know, his style of play. That's not really what he's going to do for you, but he gives you pretty much everything else. Playing in 147 games last year, he was a great fantasy asset. And I remember there was a few different times we were comparing him with Luis Arise. You know, depending on what league you're in and how they calculate value, Quan actually ended up as a more valuable player than Luis Arise, despite the fact that Arise was on higher percentage of lineups. He was, you know, somebody that was looked at in a bit of a better light, and he, he did win the batting title, so there is that. But Quan hit 298 with almost 20 steals, giving you good production across the board, really. Okay, six home runs isn't great, but you'll take it when you're getting everything else that you are getting from him. Projections this year calling for about the same thing, maybe a few uh, less steals than last season. Everything else is expected to be generally within range, maybe a couple less runs, depending on where you look. Uh, but I'm feeling very confident in Stephen Kwan at his price, 120, maybe a touch high, just ever so slightly, maybe a round or so. But there's no reason to be fading him based on what I'm seeing. He's at the top of a very good lineup still. It's not a great lineup, but they are able to put together a very good team on a budget over there. And whether they should be on a budget or just spend is a whole other different conversation. But they don't really spend and they still have a very good roster put together below him in that lineup. I don't have any trouble expecting Quan to hit six or seven home runs again, have about 80 runs, 50 to 60 RBIs, steal probably 15 bases, and have a potential to win the batting crown. Like, that is who Stephen Quan is, and I think at this price, depending on your team build, he can make a lot of sense. Now, if you're taking guys like Luis Arise and guys who don't really have a lot of power, it doesn't make sense to pair them together, really, uh, unless you're you know playing a head-to-head league and you're doing like a hard punt of home runs and you're just going for every other stat. Maybe uh, we have a, actually an article coming out on punt strategies. Uh, it'll be out probably over the weekend uh, if that's something you guys are interested in. I'm not a huge fan of punting, specifically in Roto. You can't really do it effectively. It's it just not really something you can do, especially if you're trying to go for an overall. But I think Quan does work if you take a couple of massive power bats early on, guys who don't really give you a great average. Like let's say you take a Kyle Schwarber earlier on. Or somebody like that, or even maybe a Dalton Varsho, somebody who is going to hit you home runs, hit for a poor batting average. You get kind of the flip side of that with a guy like Quan. Fill in the batting average. You don't need to worry about home runs so much, assuming that is your build. I think the price is pretty reasonable at 120. Maybe, like I said, maybe a touch high. But depending on the build, I could definitely be talked into it at that range. I don't think it's an egregious price by any means to pay for Quan. He was great last year, and I think that we could see something pretty similar again this upcoming season. But let's keep it going now with number 34, and that is Brandon Nimmo. I like Brandon Nimmo a lot. Now, I do think, first of all, I'm pretty happy the Blue Jays did not pay him the contract that he got because I just think it's not going to look great at the end of the day. Even though he's still on the right side of 30, uh, eight-year deal for $162 million, it's going to take him through 2030. I don't know that I love the deal. He's not really been a staple of health in his career. There's been two seasons where he's played full seasons. It was 140 games in 2018, and it was 151 games last year. Every other year, he has been mired in health problems. He has not been on the field. We're talking 32 games, 69 games, 69, 55, and 92. Now, that 55 did come in the 60-game season, but he's always generally been missing time. And last season was a career year for him. He had 102 runs scored well beyond what he had even in his previous full season in 2018. He almost equaled his home run high at 16. He had a couple of steals. He had his high in RBIs, and the batting average is not quite a career high, but still a very serviceable 274. Now, Brandon Nimmo, where is he based on ADP? Uh, he is 39th based on outfielders, so I guess I am a little bit higher than consensus. I didn't think so when I was putting these together. Uh, I tried to avoid ADP when I'm 
when I'm doing my rankings, I thought I might be a little bit lower on him, but it's good to see that people aren't overdrafting him. I think they are. I think that they're looking in general um, drafters anyway at what he did last year. I, I'm I'm very torn, honestly. The more I look at Brandon Nimmo, because I do think that he can be better than what we saw potentially in terms of maybe RBIs, maybe a couple more steals. I, I think it's the health that worries me. I think that that is the main thing here. Uh, he did play 151 games, but you know, like I said. Is he going to play that again next year? The projections do seem to think so. 140, 144, 133 from Zips. I think that that's the part where I'm a little bit skeptical on. I like him, and I guess I do like him more than the average drafter at this point. He's going between picks 146 and 194. I like it fine. Again, there's probably some guys that I like beyond him a little bit better but I don't really have a huge problem with him in this range. I'll pick 177 in these recent drafts. I think that that's fine for Brandon Nimmo. I worry a little bit about the health, but I do think that at the end of the day, it's really not a bad price to be paying for him. Top of a very good lineup, you could still see. I don't think you're going to see more runs, but you could see a similar amount of runs, maybe a couple more RBIs. The home runs should be fairly similar, assuming he's out there. I like him. He is somebody that kind of – I am a little torn on him in general – um, but I, I do like Brandon Nemo, so I'll have him comfortably there at 34. We'll move on to number 35, and that is the Newt Bar, Lars Newt Bar. I like him a lot, and what he did last season, 14.7% walk rate. He did strike out 20% of the time, but hell, that's, that's pretty damn good. That's still a little bit below league average while almost walking 15% of the time. He had 14 homers in 108 games. He had four stolen bases. Now, he did bat 228, and that's something that's not going to be great for you I suppose um, but if you are in one of those OBP leagues definitely something that you can look at and say okay I'm not going to care so much about the batting average because of what he was able to do on base percentage wise which was still 340 uh, will he do that again it's very tricky to predict with this team what's going to happen with him like I think he should probably be leading off considering that on base percentage he should probably be at the top of the lineup there are a lot of guys with good OBPs but if you're comparing him with Tommy Edmond, as much as I want, and you know, if you guys heard previous shows that I've done, I want Tommy Edmond to get consistent playing time. I want Tommy Edmond to be out there in the leadoff, and he got, he got his playing time. I think it's more so the fact of, will he be at the top of the lineup? I want that, but in reality, it, it probably should be Newbar. Uh, you know, looking at it, maybe it's the fact that Edmond's a switch hitter. He's got more speed than Newbar. But in terms of just getting on base, the on-base skills are much better for Newbar than they are for Tommy Edmonds. So I think that there's a chance we'll see Newbar lead off a little bit here and there. Uh, it's a very stacked lineup, but man, it's tricky to look at him in the seventh hole and not like him still. Like Even if he is in the seventh hole, he's batting behind Tyler O'Neill, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Contreras, Tommy Edmond. Like There will be RBI opportunities he gets on, you know, he's close to the bottom of the order, but then a couple of batters later, it flips back around to the top there with Edmund and Contreras. So I do think there is a great chance for Newbar to beat any of these projections that there are for him this season. And they're pretty good, the projections, which are anywhere from 16 to 20 home runs, about 60, 65 runs scored, close to 60 ribbies and five or six steals to go along with, you know, a slight boost in average. I like it. I think the slot, ah, excuse me, I think the draft slot makes sense here, and I think it's actually a pretty good bargain. I pick 184. He is the 41st outfielder. I have him at 35. I am definitely a fan of Lars Newtbar for this upcoming season. When we were on the trade deadline show uh, the other day for the NBA, I did mention him because there was a question in the chat that said, who is your sleeper in the outfield this year? 
he was the first one that came to mind. There are probably more better sleepers that you could go through the list and find because he's not so much of a sleeper anymore the way he's been hyped up. But a lot of people are just getting back into content now. Haven't been seeing the hype train all offseason for Lars Newbar. Could still be a sleeper for a lot of you in your drafts, and I would definitely take a hard look at him. Uh, when you're coming up close to pick 200, he definitely makes a lot of sense for me. But let's keep it going. Let's move on to number 36, somebody that I am a little bit lower on than consensus here by almost 10 slots. Well, it's nine slots uh, compared to ADP, and that's Jake McCarthy. Now, he is 27th based on outfielder ADP. I have him at 36. I just think that we are judging all of what he did based on a very short stretch last year and expecting him to you know, have a great batting average, deal a boatload of bases again with good power. Maybe he does it. Maybe he doesn't. We have no idea really who Jake McCarthy is at the major league level. He's played 123 major league games, 99 of them last year, and he did look impressive. No question. He was a league winner for a lot of people down the stretch. He was fantastic with the stolen bases and even the counting stats. He gave you almost 100 runs in RBIs combined in just under 100 games. It was 96 runs in RBIs in 99 games. That's incredibly solid, especially out of somebody who was a waiver wire pickup in almost every single league. I just don't know that we're going to see him do that again, necessarily. You know, uh, there's a lot of outfielders there in Arizona. We've talked about this at length, that I don't think any outfielder's job is particularly safe out there except for Corbin Carroll. And even Corbin Carroll, if he if he's just shit to start the year, they have options. They have Kyle Lewis. They have Alec Thomas in the minors. There are a lot of options for these guys to move around, especially with the DH in the National League now. There is a lot they can do. Lourdes Gurriel is another outfielder, currently slotted in as a DH, so... Uh, there is just a lot going on in Arizona, and I think that the price on, on Jake McCarthy is a little bit high for me at 110 as the 27th outfielder. I think we're expecting a lot out of him when, you know, like I said, maybe he does it, maybe he doesn't do it, though. And I would tend to lean towards the side of he probably won't do it again over a full season. The projections are calling for 30 steals, some of them. Double-digit homers, you know, 160-ish runs, or not 160, about 140 runs in RBIs at the best case uh, projection for him. It just feels a little bit much. Again, there are guys going off the board behind him that I definitely feel more confident in, and I don't think there is much of a need, unless you're very desperate for steals at this point, to be taking Jake McCarthy. And at pick 110, I hope that you're not at the point of your draft where you're desperate for anything, really. Maybe you could say for a position you know, you need a catcher, I need a second baseman, or I need a third baseman. But if you're desperate for stats already at this point in the draft, you've probably screwed up a little bit. You should have a little bit of diversified player pool in terms of you know positions and also in terms of production. And if you don't have your steals at least partially taken care of by this point, they're going to be drying up pretty quickly. And you might say, well, that's my plan is, to, you know, I don't need to take steals early. I'll go with McCarthy here. I just don't know that he is as sure of a thing as we are expecting for this season. So draft with caution here where he's going. I am not a huge fan of the draft price. But again, I, I could be proven wrong here. He did have a crazy second half of the season last year. Maybe he does keep it going. Uh, I would just tend to bet that he probably won't. Now, next up here... We got Cody Bellinger. I got him in at the 37th outfielder spot. Another guy who's pretty tricky to rank. Uh, he is the 42nd outfielder based on ADP here in these most recent drafts. And again, wh what do we even do with Cody Bellinger at this point? You know, very similar trajectory to Christian Yelich for whatever reason. Started off MVP trajectories, and, you know, they both did win MVPs. They were both fantastic. And then they kind of fell off a cliff, but their cliff that they fell off is still, you know, they landed on a ledge there that still has some fantasy value. If you look at last season, 
Bellinger played 144 games. He had 19 homers. He had 14 stolen bases. That's fantasy relevant there. As much as it might have stung you to have that 210 batting average in the lineup, the counting stats were probably not as great as you would have hoped for in the Dodger lineup. He had 70 runs and 68 ribbies. He was still a fantasy viable player, and I think he will be again this year, even though the team is not quite as good uh, as what we saw last year for him. I mean, he's on a different team. Uh, He's on a much worse team in the Cubs than what we saw last year in the Dodgers. Now, you know, I talked at the beginning of the show about Say Suzuki, about how, you know, I don't think this lineup is that great. I don't think it's really going to be able to support him. It might be able to support him fine. I just don't really think the draft price reflects what we should be expecting. Where with Bellinger, you're getting him almost 100 picks later. There is higher pedigree and a higher, you know, I don't even know the right word to use anymore with him because maybe pedigree isn't even the right one because of the way these last couple of years have gone. But there is more of a track record there with Bellinger than with Suzuki. You know, I do have him ranked lower, but at the end of the day, when you look at the relative cost, the relative value of pick 185 for Bellinger, if he does have a bounce back season, that could be ridiculous value. It doesn't even need to be a crazy bounce back season. If he's slightly better than what we saw last year, different environment, the the lights are not as bright, even though they're still pretty bright out there at Wrigley. You know, playing for the Cubs, storied franchise, it's still not going to be at the same level of media attention and scrutiny as you find in Los Angeles. Let's say those 19 homers turn into just 22 or 23. We saw him hit 47. It's not asking for a hell of a lot to see him get back up, even a little bit. And yes, 47, okay, that was during 2019. You want to throw it away? Fine, throw it away. He hit 39 as a rookie in 2017 as a 21-year-old. So I don't think we can look at Bellinger and say he's just toast. I think we have to look at all the factors and the fact that, you know, he had a bad couple of seasons under very bright lights, under, you know, probably other than New York, maybe the most media-centric place in the world. Uh, I, I can definitely see a change of scenery giving him a better season this season, giving him uh, just some kind of recharge of the batteries, some change. And I, I don't even know how to quantify it exactly, but I think being out of Los Angeles will do a lot of good for Bellinger. He was not loved by the end of his time there as much as he was a couple of years ago. The fans soured on him. I think baseball kind of soured on him in general, but I think you give him a new chance. We could see him beat what he did last year, and I think the projections are pretty much calling for exactly what he did last year in about 20 fewer games. They're you know calling for 120-ish games, 125. If he plays 145 games again, I would bet that he hits over 25 home runs, that he steals over 15 bases, and he gets that batting average back up to at least about 230. I'd be willing to make that bet. If anybody wants to take that bet with me, 250. No, maybe not 250. 25, 15, and maybe 230. I'll take that bet because I think that he will be able to do that. Playing for the Cubs, I definitely like him in a new place, new uh, new scenery, new everything for him. So I'm not really, really eh, willing to write him off just yet the way that some people have. And, I mean, he's he's not expensive at all. He's going as the 42nd outfielder off the board, 185 based on ADP. He's a pretty good value. I got him a bit higher, but even where I have him, if you are using my rankings for your draft, God bless you if you are, he's not going to cost you that much. He's really not. He'll probably be, at, you know, at worst, at best, I guess, however you want to phrase it, probably about a 160, 150 pick. Maybe some people will still remember the name and the track record of years past and push him up a little bit, but you should be able to get him closer to pick 200, and I think that you're looking like pretty good value there uh, once you start getting into that range, but let's keep it going. Let's talk Hunter Renfro, somebody that I like a lot. And I think, you know, I mentioned this when I was on Fantasy Pros the other day. We did a mock draft uh, with my good friends Joe Pizapia and Chris Welsh. 
great time. You guys should check that one out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast if you haven't already. I took Hunter Renfro, and the comment that I made, and I can't remember what round it was. It was probably 18 in a 12-teamer. It was something like that. Um, I said that the team around him kind of needs to be healthy for me to really be interested in him for this season. If he does what he usually does, then it's going to be good home runs, you know, and then crickets because if if there's nobody there to drive him in or for him to drive in, I should say, uh, we might see those runs and RBIs kind of suffer. Like in 2021, we saw 89 runs and 96 RBIs with Boston. Last season was very team dependent. He lost 20, what was it, 27 runs and 24 RBIs off of his total just from being on a worse team. A lot of his production seems to be team dependent. If the Angels are great this year, which maybe they will, it's it just it really de- yeah. I can't get my words out today. I think it's because it's Friday. My brain knows the weekend's coming. If that team around him can't stay healthy, then I don't know that we're going to see more than 60 runs and 60 RBIs from Hunter Renfro. If Trout and Otani and Drury and and Ward and Walsh and Rendon, if those guys are all healthy, then we could see 100 RBIs from him. But I just can't bet on that because of the track record of health with this Angels organization. I, I think with Renfro, you can be pretty sure that you're getting 25, 30 bombs. Probably more likely 30 than 25, the way the last several years have gone and the way the projections look. I'm just a little bit wary of projecting anybody in this Angels team to do really anything at all. And that's you know maybe why I'm a little bit lower on Taylor Ward, even though I have Taylor Ward right where he is actually in terms of um, ADP right now. I think the community is generally pushing him up a little bit. If I filtered, you know, just even the last couple drafts, he might be a little bit higher. But Angels in general, I'm kind of pushing down a little bit just because I'm just so not sure about the rest of the team around, you know, player X that I'm not really sure that I'm willing to say this guy is going to go out there and have, you know, team support and guys around him the whole time. I just, I really don't feel that confident in any Angel player this season. Even, you know, Mike Trout and Otani, okay. But even them, there's a lot of injury risk. So it, it does, it is a bit of a gamble drafting anybody on this team. I would probably, for the most part, just try and stay away if you can. But at this point, Hunter Renfro, I think he does make sense uh, at, as the 38th outfielder. Now, he is 34 based on ADP. I'd push him down a little bit there, 144 uh, in terms of the ADP. I just, I think it's a little bit rich. I'm not going to kill anybody for doing it, but I personally probably probably wouldn't be there just because he doesn't really give you so much outside of those home runs. Needs to be needs to be a healthy team around him, and man, he went to a bad team to expect health from. But let's keep it going on with number 39, and that's Anthony Santander. He's a tricky one to rank a little bit, and he's 32 based on ADP. I pushed him down. I hate what they did in the outfield there. I really do. Even though his home runs went up quite a bit from last season, uh, I just don't know that we can expect that year after year from Santander. You know, and I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter so much as a switch hitter moving the wall back like most of his at-bats are going to come as a lefty. And I guess that's why it didn't impact him so much. But in general, they've made that park a lot less friendly. He is a switch hitter. He will still get at-bats against righties, and it's not going to be great. And maybe that's wrong of me to push him down because of that. I just think when it, you know, that's one factor anyway. When you look at what he does from a fantasy point of view, he doesn't steal any bases. He doesn't hit for a high batting average. And again, he's kind of somebody who is dependent on the team around him and those counting stats, the runs and the RBIs. As good as Baltimore is probably going to be, you know, they're probably 500 team. At the end of the day, like they're good, but they're not like a great team. They were a great story because they had just been so shit for so many years. 
that it was like finally the Orioles are competing and they're going to be good. It's like they're not great. They're not, you know, some juggernaut team. I think we have to really remember that when we're projecting guys like Adley or Henderson, anybody on this team. They're not that great. Last year they were 83 and 79. They're probably about that good again this season. They're probably no better or no worse than they were last year. And, uh, you know, will they be better offensively? I don't I don't necessarily know that they will be. Maybe a touch if you give Gunner and Adley a whole year to develop, but I'm probably a little bit lower on Santander than most people are. As the 32nd outfielder off the board, he is going in the 130 range. I just can't really see it for somebody there where you know you're getting one category, which is the home runs, and it might not be as many as it should, even though like it's not a huge deal because he is a switch hitter. But, you know, how many at-bats did he have against, against lefties last season? Or, let's see. It was 157 at-bats. So, I mean, it's still, it's still something, right? It's not like it's nothing. Let's call it 140, 150 this year, whatever it'll be. It's definitely, I wouldn't be as high on him as I would have been before they changed the dimensions of that park. You get in the home run still, likely regardless. But after that, what are you getting? You know, maybe it's going to be 70 runs. Maybe it'll be 65. Maybe it'll be 85. Uh, but I don't think that lineup is as solidified as we might think. And in terms of solidified, I mean, in terms of their production. I think the lineup, in terms of the way it's constructed, roster resource, it's probably what it's going to look like. I just don't know that we're going to see a great season from Santander, considering his fantasy skill set. Some projections calling for 90-plus RBIs from him. He had 89 last year. I think that's an absolute best-case scenario. If he does get there, then that's great. But these projections calling for it, that's not the 50th percentile outcome for Santander. It's just not. That is, a, that is the best case scenario. Like when you look at Zip's projections, 29 and 89, you know, that's what he did last year, but that's not what he generally has been in the first couple years of his big league career. I know this was the first time we saw him play like a whole year, but I don't think we can look at this and say this is what he is going to be every single year in this lineup. I'm just not quite there on Santander yet. Specifically for fantasy, he just doesn't do that much outside of hit home runs and for me, that's not really going to do it, especially at the 130 pick range. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about Harrison Bader. We talked about him when we had Frank Stample on the show a week and a half ago now, or whenever it was. I guess it was about, or maybe it was, no, it was last week, wasn't it? It was about a week ago uh, to talk Yankees. And, you know, Harrison Bader's price seemed so crazy to me at 167. It seems really, really high. Um, I have him as my 40th outfielder. He's 38 based on ADP. It's still, even though I'm not too far off from the market, I do feel like the overall price is a bit high at 167. You know, he's never been a great fantasy asset. He's been okay. He's given you low end uh, double digit homers and double digit steals. He's never been a great fantasy player. He's been kind of okay in a semi regular role with the Cardinals these last few years. But I think that we're kind of just expecting, I don't know what we're expecting in, in New York. We're expecting, like, you know, some of the projections have him for 17 homers and 20 steals. We, he's never done that before. You know, they're projecting the most games he's ever played, some of them anyway, are close to it. The most he played was 138. The projections are calling for about 130. But we're looking at some other seasons where we're talking 86 games, 103. You know, he played 50 out of 60 in the short season. Uh, I don't know. I feel like 130 games is probably, you know, the high end of the projection. And I feel like 17 homers and 20 steals is absolutely the high end of the projection. People will look at that and they'll say, okay, that's what he's going to do. Because a lot of people will look at the projections and essentially put those numbers down as if they are fact. They're not fact. They're a good guide. Um, but I can't see Bader giving you 17 and 20 
with 68 runs and 67 RBIs. The, the RBI number is just crazy for me. That's the Fangraphs depth chart. Uh, the Zip step chart has them for 71, 74, and 71 uh, with 18 and 18. I think they're just too lofty. I think that we've overshot him with the projections. I think he's okay. I think he's a fine outfielder in terms of you know the overall outfield context. I think the 40th outfielder makes sense for him. Yeah, maybe I've maybe I've overvalued him a little bit, honestly, looking at it. Maybe he should be down one or two spots. But in terms of like the overall price at 167, it does feel too expensive to me. Like he should not be, in my opinion, a top 200 pick. I just don't see that for him. You know, if he does end up producing in that range, God bless him. Great. But I don't see it right now, considering what he's done so far. Let's keep it going, though, with another Cub, and that's Ian Happ, somebody that I thought there was a decent chance we'd see him get traded. I mean, even dating back to last year and the trade deadline, the Cubs have kind of been a little bit strange. Uh, I have him here as my 41st outfielder. Now, where is he going by ADP? He's the 37th outfielder by ADP. Not much of a difference there, really. Uh, They're a little bit higher than me, potentially, but at the end of the day, uh, I think the projections are pretty good for him. He's going to give you somewhere around 20 home runs. He's going to give you somewhere in the 70 run and 70 RBI range. Maybe 65 is more accurate to put in that range. You know, 65 and 65. Close to double-digit steals and a fairly all-right batting average. It's hard to say exactly what he's going to do. 271 last year, 226 the year before. Those are his recent full seasons. 2020, hard to judge. 2019, it was only 58 games. And then the years prior, uh, you know, it was full seasons, 142 and 115, but the batting average was 233 and 253. So there's still a little bit of wiggle room there, depending on how you want to look at the batting average. Could it end up being in the 270s again? It could. I think it's more likely like what the projections are saying. Somewhere in the 240 range for him. 20 home runs, you know, could give you double-digit steals, potentially. Even though he hasn't done it before, he's given you 8, 8, 9, and 9. He's one of those prime guys like I've talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks, over the past couple of months, really, with stolen bases, where I don't think it'll, you know, lead. Who's a good random example here? Oh, God. You know, I don't think Byron Buxton, or maybe he's not the greatest example there. Jordan Alvarez. You know, I don't think Jordan Alvarez is going to steal 20 bases this year. But guys like Ian Happ, who are, you know, fringe double-digit steal guys as it is, you give them a bigger base, you give them fewer pickoff attempts there. Uh, I think we could see maybe between 12 and 15 steals from Ian Happ, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I'm pretty comfortable having him at 41 in terms of the outfielders. Overall price seems... Fairly okay where he's going at 153, maybe a little bit high. But I tend to think all these outfielders are going a little bit high. Uh, Once we get into three outfielder leagues and we start looking more at Yahoo's numbers, ESPN's and CBS's, then you're going to see these ADPs push down a little bit because if you only need three outfielders, people are not going to take them as early on. It's the same thing with catchers, right? In two-catcher formats, that's why you see Real Muto go in the second. And you see, let me see where Real Muto's going now. He might be in the first for all I know at this point. 26 overall. 26 is ADP. He's going in the second round sometimes. You know, in a two-catcher league, you could make that argument. But in a one-catcher league, it's not going to happen. When more regular fantasy players start playing outside of industry people, you know, start playing in your regular leagues, you're going to see one-catcher leagues, three outfielder leagues. These guys are going to be pushed down a little bit. So maybe that's where I'm coming from in terms of thinking these guys are a bit overpriced. In a five-outfielder league, it probably makes more sense. But for me, where I'm coming from, uh, I'm pushing these guys down generally at least a couple rounds each. There's might be one or two guys where I'm, you know, way ahead of them on or way ahead of consensus on. But for the most part, uh, these guys can be pushed down one or two rounds if you're just talking about a three outfielder league as opposed to 
what I'm looking at, which is an NFBC draft champions format. But let's keep it going. We'll talk about number 42 here, and that's Jeff McNeil. Jeff McNeil, I mean, people were counting him out after 2021. He was on one of the first shows that I did ever for this podcast. And I, God, I don't even want to even mention it, really. I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it because maybe one or two people will go back and listen. They were freaking terrible the first couple of shows. I wouldn't recommend it. But I did recommend last year saying Jeff McNeil makes a lot of sense at his draft price. Makes a lot of sense regardless of the draft price, considering he's coming off of one bad season. You've added 251 in 2021, 120 games. He was not good. If you look at every other year of his career, you know, various sample sizes, 329, 318, 311, and 326 batting averages. He's a 307 career hitter. Projections have him for anywhere from 274 to 289. For no reason to project him under 300, I don't think. I mean, the projections are going to naturally weigh the last three years, and that's where they get the numbers from. But I think you have to kind of throw away 2021. Seasons or hitters have bad seasons sometimes. And I think that's what happened with McNeil. He bounced back in a huge way this past season. More home runs, way more runs, RBIs, steals. I mean, just one more steal. But he raised the batting average 75 points. I mean, you got to look at that and say, okay, maybe he's not a 250 hitter. Maybe he is closer to a 310, 320 hitter, which is what he's been every other season. He's given you that in a very good lineup. You know, he's not going to blow you away with the rest of the stats. Might touch double-digit homers. I know he had 23 that one year. That was the fun ball era of 2019 where, you know, I could have gone out there and hit a few bombs. It's not going to happen again. But if he's going to give you, you know, between 8 and 12 home runs, I'm going to say 70 runs, 60 RBIs, and 5 stolen bases, 6 stolen bases, you're cooking with gas there for Jeff McNeil. He's not going off the board until the 45th outfielder at pick 190. Where is he going off the board in terms of second baseman right now? Uh, 15th. Either way, I mean, I think he is a really good bargain. We know what he can do. He is not the sexiest player by any means, but he does give you a low baseline of production across all the categories. couple steals, a couple of homers, decent counting stats, and a fantastic batting average. So I really think that Jeff McNeil, he kind of fits into that same, that same mold as like the Stephen Kwans. If you have not taken, or if you have taken power early on and you want to wait a little bit, then you, you take a Jeff McNeil type and you can kind of supplement what you had going earlier on in the draft, which was, you know, if you're doing that kind of build, you're taking power stats early, your homers, your RBIs, and then you can wait a little bit on stats such as stolen bases and batting average. The main reason that I have Quan so far ahead of McNeil is because Quan's going to steal a bunch more bases. Other than that, they're very similar, and I don't think it's, what is it, eight, ten picks apart? Yeah, I have them nine, nine players apart in the rankings. A lot of that does come down to stolen bases because stolen bases do dry up quite a bit. But I do like Jeff McNeil, even if he only steals you two bases this year. He could end up being a fantastic asset for you. So definitely somebody to keep an eye on. One of the few multi-eligible guys here in the outfield as well. And that's not factoring into these particular rankings, but it's something that you should keep an eye on when you do start your drafts up. Okay, next we have Giancarlo Stanton. Man, another guy we talked about with Frank last week when we were going over the Yankees, and another guy where I have no real idea what to think or feel about him and his production. He is one of the most elite power hitters we have ever seen in baseball. His exit velocities, I think, are unmatched ever. Uh, you know, O'Neill Cruz at that one ball that was harder than him. But I think, you know, it's not a, not a hot take to say Stanton hits the ball harder than pretty much anybody else in history. Even in 110 games last year, 31 bombs, 53 runs, which is kind of a low number, but he still had 78 RBIs. 
uh, he's still somebody that you should be maybe paying attention to. And I say maybe because it is it is a little tricky with Giancarlo Stanton at this point, and I'm not like all in on him. I've got him eight spots lower in my rankings than he is going by ADP. He is 35. I have him at 43, and I think even that, again, he is so tricky. There are some guys, you know, like I mentioned, um, what's, what's his name? Bellinger. Bellinger is so tricky to rank, and, you know, you keep going up the board. There are different guys, Byron Buxton, Mike Trout, Eloy, Luis Robert. There are certain guys that are incredibly hard to rank, and I said this when I was on with Frank the other day. If Stanton's healthy, let's say he plays 150 games, and he's only a couple of years removed from doing that. I mean, 2021, it was 139 games. 2018 was 158. If he is healthy for a whole season, he could hit 50 home runs still. It's definitely within the range of outcomes for him. It's not something I'd expect, but is he capable of it? Absolutely, he is capable of it. Definitely something that he can do. And now it's a matter of will he be healthy. It's a question that nobody knows the answer to. But I think, you know, it really depends on your build here. This is kind of like the opposite of what I've said before. If you're taking guys in your earlier rounds who are probably not going to be stealing you so many, or excuse me, who are not going to be hitting you so many home runs, you're taking guys who are a little bit more balanced across the board, you know, maybe somebody who is maybe a Rosarena or somebody like that who is giving you a more balanced, you know, stat line, maybe Starling Marte, somebody like that. Uh, and I'm just looking at outfield here. That's why these are outfielders I'm mentioning. But you get Stanton, he can compensate for a lack of power early in drafts at a price that's fairly reasonable still at 146. It might be a little bit higher than I'm personally willing to take him. But like I said, I think he will be pushed down a little bit once we start drafting three outfielder leagues. You can probably get him in the 170s, 180s. At that point, I'd definitely be in on him, and that's kind of where I would have him ranked in terms of an overall context, maybe even a little bit farther down, honestly. Like... Maybe 200 in that range. Because I did say a couple, you know, a few picks ago, Harrison Bader. I wouldn't really want him until pick 200, but I, I think I did overrank Harrison Bader here in this original ranking. He's going to move down probably two or three spots, um, and that's why we're we're talking through this still because these have not gone out in print form just yet. Uh, we're going to start putting them out over the course of the weekend and, and through next week. We're going to be releasing rankings. I'm not going to call it rankings week or anything like that because I'm not sure uh, how busy we're going to be um, <laughs> with what's going to be going on. But we're going to definitely have some rankings up next week, um, just as a side note there as well. But let's keep it going with Andrew Benintendi. Andrew Benintendi is somebody that I like a lot. I took him in that draft the other day on Fantasy Pros as well. He is somebody who is going to give you, and you know, it might sound weird to say this, but you're getting five-category production from him. And, you know, let me explain. He had five home runs last season. I know. That's a total outlier. That's something that's not going to repeat over the course of a full season. If you look at his full seasons in the past, 20 homers, 16, 13, and 17. He's not just all of a sudden a five-home run guy going forward. It's the same exact thing that happened with Lourdes Goriel Jr. You know, He's been a 20-home run guy in the past. He's not just all of a sudden a five-home run guy out of the blue, still at a fairly young age. Benintendi is 27 years old. It feels like he's been around for a long time because he started when he was 21, and that was 2016. But he is, or did he turn 28 yet? Oh, excuse me. He turned 28. He was 27 last year. Still, he's 28 years old. He's not an old guy by any means. He's not, you know, losing his touch, losing his eyesight, losing his power. Like, nothing like that is happening. It was a bad year for him. He is in a different spot now. <clears throat> and I do think in Chicago, we are going to see a bounce back across the board. Talked about that ad nauseum throughout the offseason. Chicago is due for a bounce back. All players should be a little bit better than they were last season now that we don't any longer have Tony La Russa there uh, to kind of, you know, rain on their parade. 
Uh, I think we could see him return to double-digit steals with the new rules. He has been a 20-steal guy in the past. The last two years have been eight. He is one of those prime guys I'm talking about. He'll turn, you know, like Ian Happ, he'll turn eight, nine steals into 12 or 13 steals. The home runs, we'll probably see 12 to 15 again. No question there. And he's a good, solid batting average asset. You know, he is somebody who hit 300 last season. Probably going to come down a little bit, but you're not going to see it come down a crazy amount. He's always run very good BABIPs. You're probably going to see him probably in the 270, 280 range at, at least. You know, a 279 hitter for the career. No problem expecting about 270 from him this season. So I like Benintendi. I like him. Where is he going by ADP here? Um, he's actually the 50th outfielder based on ADP. I've pushed him up a little bit to 44. I like what he can do a lot for this upcoming season. Pick 209 feels fairly reasonable for me at that point. You're getting a solid outfielder who, like I said, it might sound weird to say five-category production, but you're getting potential for double-digit homers and steals, good runs and RBI numbers, and you know a 280 average, like I said. So I really like Benintendi. He's somebody before these rankings are actually out and finalized on the website. You could see his number actually tick up a couple of slots here. So definitely somebody that I am interested in for this season. Uh, I could I could say that he is one of my guys. You know, he is one of my guys for the season that I'm going to be drafting pretty much wherever I can. Um, but let's move on. Let's move on to number 45. And I do want to check something real quick because this guy is, uh, I just clicked on his Fangraphs page. He is listed as a minor leaguer at this point. I don't think that that's going to happen when the season starts, but let's see. No, it's just, a, I think it's just some kind of glitch with Fangraphs. Um, we're talking about Austin Meadows, and he is somebody who is fairly undervalued when it comes to overall drafts. He's somebody I've pushed up more than anybody I've ranked probably in terms of any position. 21 spots ahead of ADP. He is 66th based on outfielder ADP, 277th overall. I've got him here at 45, and I think that that is, you know, it, it could even be higher. You could even rank him higher. I know last year was not a good season for him, and I forget exactly what it was now, but he dealt with personal troubles last year. Whether it was mental or physical, I can't remember. I think there was a mental aspect there, too, where he said he needed to, like, you know, take a bit of time away from I need to look this up, actually. And I should have done it before we started, but there's something, uh, there's something with his health last year. Um, yeah, it was injuries and mental health. It was it was a combination of the both of them. He wasn't really himself last season. You know, it's something that we have to acknowledge. And I've talked about it a lot with Josh Hader and a couple different players. These people are humans. They go through shit. We have to give them their time and their space. And he he took the year off essentially. He played 36 games last year, but he didn't play. You know. He didn't play much. He really didn't. He took the year to kind of rejuvenate himself. And his when was his last game? I think the last time he played was in June. Yeah, it was in June. So he hasn't played in a long time. And a lot of people might be turned off because of that. But I think that you give him a year away, or what we've given him, which is most of a year away from the game, kind of get his head straight. We could definitely see him return to what he did in the past, even though the, the park is worse than where he was before. He was in Tampa, you know, not a great hitter's park by any means. He's in a worse park for sure in Detroit. But we also have to remember... They did some renovations. I think they moved the walls in, and they moved them down this year, something like that. So definitely definitely some interest there for me, just in terms of that, and just in terms of the bounce-back narrative at pick 277, because Lord knows that this guy can hit when he is given the opportunity. Just a year prior, 2021, we've already forgotten about it and written him off, apparently, but he had 27 homers, 106 ribbies, and he stole a few bases as well. You go back to 2019, the previous full season, he had 33 homers, 12 stolen bases, 89 RBIs. You know, he is 
kind of weird to predict in terms of batting average because it's bounced around a little bit. It was higher in his first two seasons. It's come down a little bit now in recent year. But you could see him getting to 250, 260 pretty easily. Hitting you 25, even, you know, he does have 30 home runs in him still. It's something that he has done, albeit in 2019. But 2021, he hit 27 bombs. It's definitely still in him at 27 years old. He's going to be 28 years old early in the season. But he is still somebody who is so young, who has so much potential and power. He can give you a little bit of speed. And he is literally like free at this point. Well, I know I, I hate saying it. I shouldn't even say it because it's not technically true. But I picked 277. He is somebody that I would be taking the last pick of your drafts. And I've mentioned this about a lot of players. And it's because, hell, every draft is different. You're not going to be able to get the one guy. If I just say one guy, get him at the end of every draft, you're not going to be able to get him. I've said it with a bunch of players. Austin Meadows fits that bill perfectly. Your last pick in your draft, you take him, you see what gives. Because he's projected to be the leadoff hitter in this lineup, we could see him have a huge bounce back, and it wouldn't have cost you damn near nothing at this point at pick 277. So definitely somebody to be keeping an eye on. Maybe he gets a little bit more expensive. I don't really see him being a helium guy. I mean, of course, anybody could be a helium guy. You see some spring training videos of a ball that goes 500 feet, and you're thinking, okay, uh, adjust the rankings, adjust the rankings, adjust the rankings. But I, I don't think he's going to move up so high from where he is going. 66th outfielder off the board. He's going behind Lane Thomas. He is going behind, you know, Randall Gritchuk. He is going behind Gavin Lux. I don't agree. I think he should be higher up. I really like the potential that we have uh, from Austin Meadows for a bounce back. So definitely somebody who is on my radar for the season. And I guess you could say, again, uh, one of my guys. But let's keep it going. So number 46, and that is Alex Verdugo. I really like Alex Verdugo. And, you know, when I've talked about with Ben Intendi, and, I mean, some people won't even like the way that I'm saying it in terms of a five-category player because it's technically not true that they're giving you five full categories. But you're getting a low level in those, at least low level of acceptable production across all five categories. So, Verdugo stole only one base last year, which is, you know, kind of a nail in my coffin there for the five categories. But the previous couple of years, it was six, four, and four. The projections do have him going for anywhere from three to four steals. He's going to hit you double-digit homers. He's going to give you a decent amount of runs and RBIs, probably talking about 140, 150 put together. And he's going to give you a great batting average. You look at these last four seasons for him, and, you know, 2020 is what it is. But 294, 308, 289, and 280. Absolutely can see him doing that again. Giving you those low-end double-digit homers with a few steals, and you know those those three or four steals, you know, you maybe this isn't going to happen for everybody, but adjust them, push them up a little bit to five, six steals instead of three, four steals. You could definitely see that happening for a guy like Verdugo, who runs pretty all right. He runs very good BABIPs. He's not a slow guy by any means. I think he's a good value where he is going. He is the 46th outfielder based on ADP. I also have him at 46, right around pick 200, which is where a lot of outfielders are going. Like if you just look from pick. 177 through pick 210, uh, you're talking about like 14 outfielders in a span of about 30-some-odd picks. Like every other pick is going to be an outfielder at this point. He is somebody that I would prioritize amongst this group when you're looking around who he's going around. You know, Joey Manessis, Riley Green. I definitely would take him over those guys. With Merrifield, who unfortunately did not make the top 50, uh, he'll be just outside of it. 
It's unfortunate. I mean, but it is what it is. I'm taking Verdugo ahead of him, even though Merrifield's going around earlier as well. So I like Verdugo. I think that he is somebody that is being slept on a little bit. The lineup's not great, but it's definitely better that they got Yoshida and they got Devers back. I mean, if Devers had left, I mean, Jesus, that lineup would have been awful. Even without Bogarts, I think they can still compete enough in that division anyway. I mean, hell, maybe they won't compete. They probably... They probably won't compete. But I think their lineup can be all right anyway with Verdugo at the top, with Yoshida, with Devers. I think those guys can help support each other's counting stats, even though I'm not crazy about Devers for this season. If you guys have heard the third base show and a few other shows, I'm not crazy about him. But I think that the top of that order could still be pretty damn decent. So I like Verdugo where he's going at the 46th outfielder range. I think it makes a lot of sense to take a chance on him there if you just need to boost your categories kind of across the board. But let's keep it going with a guy that we talked about the other day when we had Carlos Marcano on the show. And two of the remaining four players we are going to talk about today as we're just approaching the end of the show now are going to be members of the Oakland A's. We did talk about them in depth the other day, so I won't get so much into them. Go back and listen to, was it Wednesday's show? I guess it would have been Wednesday's show with Carlos. Uh, that's Carlos Marcano of Pitcher List. Um, baseball, pers- no, Baseball Perspectives. I'm about to say Baseball America. No, Baseball Perspectives and Triple Play Fantasy. Um, he was here with us talking about the Oakland A's, and we got into these guys quite a bit. But the guy that I have right here at number 47 in my rankings is Estuary Ruiz. And I've heard him called Estuary. Est- I'm, I don't even know, honestly, how you should pronounce this name. Uh, I, I could be wrong calling him Estuary. It is phonetically how it looks. So we're going to go with that. And if somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Estuary. I think it's Paul Spora calls him Estuary. I'm really not sure exactly the right pronunciation, but whatever his name is, uh, I mean, the speed is just absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. I talked about it with Carlos the other day. In AAA last season, he played a grand total of 65 games. He stole 48 bases in those 65 games. If you go back to AA in 2022, 49 games, 37 stolen bases. uh, He is just incredible speed. When he came to the majors, he was not very good, granted. But it was 17 games last season. He was traded mid-year. You know, he's still very young, very raw prospect. I, I don't – I believe he still qualifies as a prospect. How many at-bats did he have? Oh, he only had 36 plate appearances. Yeah, he is definitely still a prospect. And he is definitely somebody who could steal, like, 50 bases. It was Will Garofalo who was talking on Twitter the other day. Uh, he's also with Pitcher List. Or maybe it was today or yesterday, actually. I can't even remember – saying, like, what the hell is going to happen on this app if, if Ruiz steals 50 bases? And he damn near could steal 50 bases. It's it's totally possible for him if he's given an entire season at the top of that order for him to get to those numbers. The numbers, you know, projections have him anywhere from 19 to 36. They don't really necessarily agree or know what's going to happen. But I think you have to aim on the higher side, assuming he is going to get playing time, which he should. That team sucks. He should get all the playing time in the world. At the top of the order, even though he's projected about at the bottom right now, Tony Kemp leading off. We talked about this with Carlos, too. It doesn't really make that much sense, even though I think Kemp is probably a fine enough leadoff hitter. He's like the leadoff hitter that comes with the frame when you buy the, you know, you, ever, you guys ever, I, maybe you know that expression, maybe you don't. I don't know. He's like the picture that comes with the frame when you buy a leadoff hitter kind of thing. He's fine, but Ruiz is potentially very special. Uh, you know, he hit for pretty high batting averages. Walk rates were through the roof in AAA or double-A AA and triple-A, really. Uh, didn't translate the major league level yet, but only 17 games. Give him time and draft him this season if you can, kind of with your, maybe not your last pick, but approaching that kind of range, that's where he's going. 
And I think if you need Steele's help, there's no one better in this range than Ruiz to go after. 216 is his ADP right now. 52nd in terms of the outfielder ADP. Jesse Winker is who I have at number 48. I'm buying in that he can bounce back a little bit from what we saw last season. It was a bad year for him. Uh, Where is he going by ADP? 61st, so I've pushed him up a little bit as well here. But he's only one year removed from giving you a very, very solid season, which was 24 homers, 77 runs, 71 ribs, and a 305 batting average. This past year sucked. He did not gel with the team. Actually played more games this year than he did last season, which is very surprising if you look at the counting stats. It makes you wonder what he would have done in 2021 over the course of a full season because he missed 52 games. But when you look at the counting stats, this past, if you look at everything this past season, it was not a good fit for him in Seattle. Now he's in Milwaukee, and I don't think the offense is that great. I don't think the team is that great, but I'm willing to buy in at this price at pick 260 that he can be even some version of what we saw in Cincinnati. Now, how much of that was the ballpark? It's, it's tough to say, but even in 136 games last year, he wasn't terrible. You know, he still gave you 14 bombs. He still gave you 100-plus runs and RBIs together, which is not the greatest, but it's still decent. It wasn't like he was horrible. When there was a time when he was actually, like, I wrote a buy low article last year, I remember, and he was involved in, I forget when it would have been. I guess it was when I was in the Dominican last year at some point. It would have been in July, I think. Uh, that's when I was looking at him as someone who you could buy low on, and I still think that you can buy low on him in just a different context this season. I think you know you buy in at pick 261. Again, last pick of the draft kind of range. If he doesn't work, you drop him. There's tons of replacement value. If he does work, if he does end up bouncing back a little bit, he might have a 20 home run, 140 run in RBI season and give you, you know a 270 batting average because that's what he is for the career. He's a 270 hitter. I mean, if he does that, I think you'd be very happy with him and with that draft price. But let's keep going with number 49 for me, and that's Ramon Laureano. And I think I've pushed him up just a touch based on where he's going. Actually, he is literally exactly the same based on ADP, uh, 49 and 49. It's always fun when I'm right on with the early drafters. You know, and maybe part of it is that it gets into my head a little bit. I try and scrub my brain of ADP data before I sit down and do my rankings. Maybe some of it does sneak in, but I do think regardless, this is a very reasonable price for him as the 49th outfielder. Last year, it was only 94 games, and it was still 13 homers and 11 steals. The year prior, in 2021, 88 games, he still had 14 homers and 12 steals. Like, he is going to give you that double-digit production in both of those categories, pretty much regardless of what happens, and I do think he will be traded. You know, we talked about this with Carlos a lot. If he does get traded his value almost certainly gets boosted up. Like he might have a bit of a worse lineup position than where he is in Oakland, but he'll almost definitely be getting a better, better ballpark and a better team around him. So, uh, and you know, they've traded away every other core piece of that team over the last year. Montas is gone and Manaya is gone and Chapman is gone and Murphy is gone. And I'm probably missing a few names because they've literally did Chris Bassett. Like they literally traded everybody. There's nobody there anymore from that team that was actually pretty good a couple of years ago. Loriano's kind of one of the last remaining pieces. I think he'll be gone. I think he'll be traded to a, a you know maybe not a contender, but a much better team than Oakland. It, really, there is nowhere to look but up when you're playing with Oakland, unless you get traded to the Nationals, maybe or the Pirates. But hell, I think even the Pirates would probably be an upgrade. Even the Nationals probably be an upgrade. I, I just don't. I think they are going to trade him, and even if they don't, you can rely on the production there of double-digit homers and steals. You know, he is projected. By Steamer, as, as flawed as Steamer may be, for 21 homers and 20 steals. So, uh, you know, the other projections don't have them quite as lofty, but 18 and 14, 19 and 15, 21 and 15, that's generally what you're seeing from these projections. You're going to get good production 
not an expensive price either after pick 200 and almost the 50th outfielder off the board. I do think he does make sense in this range to take a chance on. Maybe he gets traded, and if he does, then, you know, skies are going to be very clear for you if he does get traded to a good team and he ends up getting regular at-bats wherever he does go. Let's keep it going, and let's talk about the final outfielder in my top 50. You know, can only put one more here, and it's Oscar Gonzalez. I like Oscar Gonzalez quite a bit. I like what that team has done in that lineup. I like the fact he doesn't strike out too much, even though I wish he walked a little bit more at the same time in 20, not in 24 games. He is 24 years old. Uh, or Actually, sorry, he just turned 25 last month. Uh, but 91 games for him over the last season. He had 11 homers. He had 43 ribbies. He had 39 runs. He also stole a base while hitting 296. Projections for him this year, they do vary. But in general, you're looking at about 16 to 20 homers, a couple of steals, about 160 to 170-ish runs in RBIs. Uh, no, actually, I'm overshooting that. Not 160, 170. About 140. 100 and, depending on where you're looking, about 140. But even that, with a couple of steals, where he is going in drafts, and where is he going in drafts, actually? I guess I'm lower on him than consensus. He is the 44th outfielder off the board uh, in terms of these recent NFBC drafts, like I mentioned. Sorry to repeat that. I know I've repeated that a bunch of times, but I have heard feedback, not just from this podcast, from a lot of different podcasts, that people do like hearing the name repeated over and over again because a lot of you guys listen while you're driving. That's why I listen to podcasts usually while I'm driving to school or while I'm going, wherever I'm going, driving home at night from a friend's house or whatever. That's when I listen to podcasts. So I do try and repeat the names more and more and the different facts more and more. Uh, since I became more aware that that's what you guys want. But Oscar Gonzalez, for me, as a dart throw here, because that's kind of where he is. And again, we're shifting back towards our standard league content. He would be more of a dart throw in your standard league because he's not somebody that is a sure thing just yet. He still hasn't fully 100% proven himself, even though he is very good still, um, or he was very good last season. He hasn't fully proven himself, and I think when you're in a shallower league, those kind of players do make more sense because if they don't work out, you can just drop them, right? Whereas if you are in a DC and you take him where he's going in the top 200, if he doesn't work out, it does kind of suck for you, and you're kind of stuck with him the whole year, and there's not really replacement-level value because there is no waiver wire. You're kind of just stuck with who you drafted at the beginning of the year. But in those shallower leagues, if you're in a 10-team league, if you're in a 12-team league, I definitely like the thought of taking Oscar Gonzalez and kind of hoping for the best, and if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But we've seen the potential of good batting average with good power, which is not something that's easy to come by, specifically at this price. Uh, and I think we could be looking, uh, we could be cooking with gas here when it comes to Gonzalez and the Guardians lineup in general. So that is my top 50 outfielders. It may change a little bit, one or two spots here and there. Certain guys may move up or down if I see a certain piece of news or you know, this guy's headed for surgery or this guy's got a slow spring ahead of him or something. You know, there are still things that can make you adjust the rankings. But this is pretty much what it's going to look like, and it will be up on sportsethos.com in written form. I'm not going to promise a day because I have a very busy couple of days ahead, but it should be there absolutely within the next week in written form with some write-ups as well. I'm not going to write up individual players. I'm going to just write, in general, a few paragraphs talking about my philosophy and why I rank, you know, Talking more about the outliers, why certain players are ranked where they are, um, that's going to be more what we are doing in terms of the written content for me for preseason content. We're going to have those rankings. I'll have uh, some kind of my guys article, you know, like I mentioned, uh, Ben Intendi. There's going to be a couple of guys who are my guys for this upcoming season, and I'll put those down in written form as well. But 
I appreciate you guys keeping going with the downloads. It appears that people are back listening to baseball podcasts on a regular basis, and that puts a smile on my face because we are seeing a lot of new listeners come into the show. I've gotten some nice support back uh, over on Twitter, so I appreciate all of you who have found the show. If you found it last year and you've kept going with us, I really appreciate that as well. If you haven't done so already, hit the five-star review button. That would go a long way helping other people to see the show. Uh, help us expand a little bit here before the season does start. Help us keep up with the big dogs. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. You guys can check us out on Twitter. Go check out the Sports Ethos Fantasy Baseball page. That is Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. I realize a lot of you probably are driving, like I said, uh, but when you guys do end up parking or getting wherever you're going, take a look at Ethos Fantasy BB. There are a bunch of articles that are up on the site. These podcasts get posted there every single day. There's a lot of stuff that is going on at Ethos Fantasy BB, and I hope you guys will be a part of it there. Come check us out. There is free stuff. There is subscription stuff at sportsethos.com. Uh, but we hope we got something for you there. Between the fantasy, the real-life sports, the gambling, we got, a, we got a ton of stuff going on over there. So please do go check it out. We will be back next week. We got more team previews. We got more rankings. We're going to go relief pitcher, and then we're going to go starting pitcher. Monday, we're going to have Matty Wood, Matthew Davis here from FTN Fantasy talking Dodgers. I believe Tuesday we're going to have Paul Spohr here talking Tigers. And I believe Sho Ali from Rogers Sportsnet is going to be here talking Blue Jays with us later on in the week as well. For my Canadian viewers, if you guys ever listen to Blue Jays games on the radio, Sho Ali does the studio updates. You guys are definitely familiar with him if you do listen to Blue Jays games in the radio. He's going to be here talking with us about the Blue Jays. we got a lot of fun coming up next week. Should be a lot of fun. I hope you guys are here for the ride. Hit the subscribe button. Make sure you're tuning in. But until then, have a great weekend. Relax. Enjoy. And cheers, everybody. We will see you on Monday.